Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. Well, we've come to the sixth and final episode of the first season of The Long Way, which is a podcast of Think Tank Cardis. This podcast really comes as part of our work as a think tank, which is about putting into the public sphere policy, commentary, and research aimed at helping us live together well, honoring our genuine differences, and protecting the vulnerable. This episode is called From Surviving to Thriving. It'll come as no surprise to you, I'm sure, that life through the pandemic lockdowns has been especially difficult for the business community. Enterprises large and small have faced enormous challenges, and getting them back on their feet will be important to all of us. That's not a problem we can totally solve in one podcast, of course, but we can make a start. And that's why I'm joined by Ashley Chalinor, Vice President of Policy at the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Ashley, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. So this is such a weird economic time. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> that's pr- maybe a bit of an understatement. Uh, a little bit, yeah. With, with, you know, economies shut down and gradually reopening, uh, every province doing it at different speeds. Uh, what's top of mind for you as you watch what's going on? That's actually maybe the hardest question you're going to ask me because there are uh, so many things competing to be at the top of my mind. Uh, I think right now, though, as we see um, provinces start to gradually reopen and, and Ontario is, is starting a new stage next week, um, my big uh, concern right now is uh, how long will this last? Uh, are we going to see a second wave? Are we going to see what some people are calling a W-shaped recovery? Um, and what does that mean for those businesses that somehow have been able to survive the past couple of months, small businesses especially, um, but are they going to be able to survive what comes next? Are they going to be able to survive if they have to shut down again? Or um, are they going to be able to survive on that day when all of those deferred taxes and rent and other bills come due? Uh, So there's a lot of questions about the sustainability of business right now. And I think that, um, you know, we're still very much only able to understand what's happening from a a one day at a time or or maybe a one week at a time perspective. Certainly, we have no idea what's going to come in September or at the end of the year. So survival is maybe issue number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if we think about this in terms of of resilience and in terms of building up something that uh, I guess not, not just can survive, but how we're going to um, how we're going to thrive or how business will thrive and how the economy will thrive mm-hmm. afterward. What can we do now that will help build in that kind of resilience? Or is it too late now? <laughs> no, that's that's a really great question. You know, I think we've seen a lot of resilience already from businesses, uh, either uh, in the way that they have um, pivoted to start manufacturing um, uh, PPE 
PPE or, or medical devices or have innovated uh, in order to um, participate in e-commerce or, or start delivering when they didn't deliver before and do curbside pickup, these things. Uh, we've got all kinds of great examples and, and we have a, actually a, a brief on um, SME resilience that's coming out uh, very shortly that has some fantastic examples in it. Um, but I think looking at resilience long term, uh, we kind of have to look at it from two perspectives. One is, you know, what can the government do to uh, to help build or help maintain that resilience? So thinking about it from a public policy perspective or a regulatory perspective. Um, and, and we've certainly seen some actions already uh, with respect to support programs or uh, loosening or lifting of restrictions so that it's easier for businesses to pivot. Uh, but then the other side of that is um, is the private sector or the the consumer behavior, consumer demand side. We don't know yet what are temporary changes in consumer behavior and what are permanent changes. And we we see a lot of businesses pivoting and innovating right now. What if that's now their new business model? What what if that's their reality, right? Um, and so you, I think you'll see a, a really big difference in those businesses that are able to be more flexible and adapt more quickly to the um, the realities of how consumers want to shop or or what consumers are comfortable doing. You know, if they're comfortable going into a shop or if they they aren't anymore. Um, you know, we'll see that, and then I think we'll also see a lot of businesses and business models that. Um, for a variety of reasons, either because they're not capitalized well enough or, or because of the regulatory structures under which they operate or, or what have you, it's going to be a lot harder for them to, to innovate. And so they're going to be less resilient. And unfortunately, if um, this is just a matter of permanent changes to consumer behavior, then, then that's business, right? Um, and there's not necessarily something we can do from a public policy perspective, but it's still something that we should be looking out for and seeing how we, you know, at the Chamber of Commerce and as part of the business community can help businesses through that transition and, and build that resilience that they'll need in order to be successful in whatever the new economy looks like. Are we getting the balance right in terms of public policy in order for that resilience to be built up? That's, that's hard to say. Uh, you know, we've been, we've been really impressed with how both the federal government and the provincial government have, have moved quite, quite quickly. Um, and uh, I mean, certainly the bar is low for government moving quickly, but they've, they've moved quite quickly to support business. Um, and, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, you know, even though we, we may have some issues issues with the way that those support programs work or, or don't work. Um, but, I, you know, I think that it's going to be a matter of long-term recovery planning, long-term stimulus investment that really, uh, that really illuminates how, uh, how government is or is not appropriately supporting business resilience. Uh, looking at where, um, where the, the pandemic has hit us hardest, it's not the usual group of businesses or the usual sectors or even the usual uh, type of employees. And so there's a lot to be said about government investing in you know, pro productivity enhancing infrastructure to help get people moving again, to help get people back to work. Things like broadband, of course, are, are top of that list. But what, uh, what is government thinking about um, that's kind of a, a whole, uh, I would say, a, 
a whole new world of policy uh, when it comes to recovery planning. You know, how do you um, how do you build a recovery plan for retail and restaurants and live music and, and culture and tourism? How do you build a recovery plan for um, part-time workers, for um, uh, young or student employees, for, uh, for, for women? Um, that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish that I don't think we've really tackled yet. Uh, so seeing the government's plans, I think, will tell us a lot about um, how effective they're going to be in actually um, building that resilience back into the economy, both at the business level, but I think also at the worker level as well. The economy matters, obviously, to all of us. It matters to us as employees. It matters to us as employers. You know, if you, especially if you've got a small business, you're, you're very dependent on those sorts of things. But let's look at it from another perspective. One other sector of society, I guess you could call it, that depends on the economy and that depends on a healthy business climate is the charitable sector. And, you know, when the economy goes down, the charitable sector has trouble. Um, how do you see the, the business community or, or even the economy more generally being able to, to contribute to resilience, survival, and even eventual thriving again in the, in the charitable sector? This is, uh, this is tough. Um, you know, I, I think uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of activity in the charitable sector, sector obviously comes from, from business. Uh, and, you know, I think we can all name some major corporations in Canada that are, are deeply involved with particular issues. And so um, not only contribute a lot of money themselves, but, um, uh, you know, raise awareness and, and uh, ensure that Canadians are, are also giving money or giving their time. Um, the other uh, side of that coin, though, is uh, is small business. You know, small businesses in uh, in small communities, especially, are often um, a big part of community and charitable activity. Right? They'll they'll run charitable drives. They'll they'll um, get their employees involved in volunteerism. They'll contribute in ways that are are more than just uh, to you know a charity's bottom line. Uh, I think one of the big uh, topics that have come up through the pandemic, as we see how many people have lost their jobs, is how do we get these people back to work? How do we retrain them? And there are a lot of charities that do great work with vulnerable populations or marginalized populations. Uh, there are a lot of charities that do great work uh, reskilling. And then there are a lot of businesses that are going to need that kind of labor. And so, you know, how can we get uh, these two parts of the economy to work better together to, to help their communities and, and help those people who've lost their jobs. You know, beyond that, um, I, I think it's just going to be a, a very difficult time for the charitable sector. Uh, I think, you know, we've heard of some very large, uh, very prominent nonprofit organizations that have lost tens of millions of dollars that have had to cut, you know, a quarter or more of their staff. Uh, and, and that's unfortunately going to be the reality for uh, for a while, because if uh, if businesses don't have the money to support uh, charitable uh, drives and, and charitable organizations at that level, uh, there's there's not really many other opportunities uh, for them to uh, to get that money, at least in, in terms of the old way of doing things. Um, I know that there's been some thinking about uh, about how to uh, reinvigorate charitable giving in Canada. Uh, and certainly with respect to immediate pandemic needs, we've seen Canadians open their wallets. 
but going back to um, the way that uh, that things were before, I think it's either going to be a slow a slow track or, or we'll see a, a complete realignment of the way that charitable giving works in Canada. We've seen in the past in a crisis situation, say with a, a tsunami in Indonesia or something like that, that government set up uh, donation matching programs. Um, doubtless, the charitable sector, well, actually all of us, have been hit by a, a tsunami of, of massive proportions, uh, economically speaking. Would something like that be able to kind of give the spark again to the charitable sector so that as we come out of this, and hopefully that's where we're at right now, we are able to have a healthy charitable sector in Canada? I think that's a that's a good idea. Uh, it's certainly you know we've we've been doing some thinking about nonprofits generally, uh, and, and that's certainly an idea an idea that's in, intrigued us uh, for those that can take charitable donations. Uh, you know, simply um, trying to to tweak the the tax receipt system, for example, uh, isn't necessarily going to to get us where we we need to go. Um, uh, something that's um, that's more substantial is is certainly what charities need right now and, and a matching program with the government uh, would, would would be far more efficient um, in that sense um, you know with with respect to the the broader nonprofit community I think that's a whole a whole different uh, discussion and, and a much more difficult one and certainly uh, someone who works for for a nonprofit you know we're thinking about um, uh, our own survival and, our, and the future of our own model um, but encouraging Canadians to to give I don't think is um, is a difficult task you know I, I think Canadians are, are very willing to uh, to help those who are less fortunate uh, the, the problem of course right now is um, we all feel um, like we are um, hemmed in in one way or another economically even those who are those of us who are lucky to still have jobs or, or have some sort of job security we don't know what's going to happen next week and certainly not next year. So the, the government coming in and, and offering some sort of, um, you know, immediate substantive support to, to kind of um, mitigate some of that risk uh, and, and encourage people to, to give what they can, I think would be very helpful. All right. Ashley Chalinor, we will end it there. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, we're almost at the end of another episode of The Long Way, and that means it's time to connect with Rachel DeBrun, who is producer of this podcast. Rachel, welcome to you. Thanks, Daniel. It was a fun conversation with Ashley talking about the economy and the recovery plan for the future. And obviously, that's a complicated file. It's difficult, and there will be some mistakes along the way. But uh, I think I think Ashley underlined some very important things when she talked about the necessity of the the health of the business community and especially the small business community, not just for the sake of the employees and the owners and putting food on the table, which I don't want to underplay that. That is vitally important, and especially when you're out of work and you don't know where that um, where the next meal will come from, for example, uh, that's top of mind, but it's important for all the other connections that exist within society. It's important, say, for the charitable sector to be able to have that partner in the business community. And I think she really outlined some interesting ways in which that happens that we don't always necessarily see. 
That's so true. And your conversation just scratched at the surface and, and showed even more how interconnected everything is, how this recovery plan, as we look to the future, you can't just put things in silos, that it all relates to each other. Everything has ripple effects that go out from it. And, you know, if we're going to talk about caring about the vulnerable, caring about those that uh, are on the edges of, of our conversations and our considerations, that uh, this this false binary that Jamil actually talked about in our last episode of just employed and unemployed is so reductive. There are so many other ways that people find themselves working, not working, living, experiencing this crisis in the context of their life outside of that. There's just so much to consider when we talk about the economy. This This conversation was really refreshing. I think one thing that comes to mind for me is when we talk about how interconnected everything is uh, and we, we think about what it is that we need to rebuild for the future, it really does harken back in my mind to the conversation from episode three uh, with on you know the Edelman Trust Barometer and tr- trust in government and having sort of everything in its proper place. If we're going to rebuild, and we, we are, we need to have all the building blocks in place government is is one of them now maybe it's a it's a very big part of it but it's not the whole story uh and that's not to say it's either the government or the market it's the government and civil society it's the charitable sector it's families it's education it's all of those building blocks matter if we're going to have like a complete structure. And how do they talk to each other? How do they talk about each other? All of those aspects matter so much for how we we come together to build the common good in our common future. Which means that we need to be able to have those channels of communication open with each other. And and that gets to, you know, some of the talk in well, let's see, probably episode two with Arthur Brooks mm. in in terms of polarization. You know, when we're polarized and when we're shutting people down or shutting others down, especially those that we disagree with, um, we're not able to live together well. We're not able to have the give and take and the and the, the, the conversation that's necessary in order to build up. It's much easier to tear down in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And when we look back, what will be the spirit of this age? Because right now, I think we would say it was fear. There's so much fear abounding. And I don't think we have to let that limit us. Uh, polarization is is such an easy thing to default to, to receding and, and running to those that just think the way that we do, that when we engage in the public square in really rich and complex ways, we open up such a different future. That's what we try to do at Cardis, and um, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I've learned quite a bit from all the folks that I've had the chance to to speak to uh, for this uh, series of six episodes, well, first season of, of The Long Way. There will be future seasons, um, and, and we're going to be planning those very soon, but uh, I've, I've learned a lot, and I hope you have too. Absolutely. It's been such a delight to listen in, and I'm really looking forward to our next season. All right. Well, that brings us to the end, not just of episode six, but of season one of The Long Way. Thank you for listening. For the entire Cardis team, I'm Daniel Prusilides.